we have to worship, to come before you, to think about uh, how excellent you are, Lord. And we thank you that um, in Christ we have everything that we need. So I just pray for our brother as he comes to bring the message that you'd open our hearts and minds uh, to the words that you've laid on his heart. We thank you for this time in Jesus' name. Amen. Good morning. Good morning. Good to see some of you that were here yesterday, and good to see everybody else that did not get a chance to meet yesterday. Our sister from Curacao, is that right? Greeted me again in Dutch this morning, so I got to practice what little Dutch I know. Thankfully, it came automatically. When she said good morning, I knew enough to say good morning in Dutch. Let me ask you a question. Have you ever been waiting for something to happen Something which would change your life forever. Maybe the arrival of uh, one of these life's uh, milestones. Uh, perhaps it's the birth of a child. Perhaps it's a marriage. Perhaps it's someone's graduation. This is the time of year for that. Well, graduation that changed the life of a number of people happened a week ago yesterday at Tyndale Theological Seminary, or I'm a teacher. Um, for the 31st time in the history of the school, we had our convocation. Graduates from seven countries on five continents passed a significant milestone that forever made them different. As pointed out in, during the ceremony to them, they became a part of the Tyndale family. And the president of the school likes to tell them, no matter where you go, no matter what you do, you belong to us now. Okay? You're part of the family. Um, from that point onward, uh, no matter where the Lord took them, Tyndale was part of their family. They were part of Tyndale family. They also received a diploma, certification, that they'd completed a course of study which uh, had given them training for vocational Christian service. Now, it doesn't mean that they had all the character or all the experience, but at least they had the knowledge something to build on for the rest of their life. And finally, the evening marked the commencement of a new life of service uh, or a return to service that they had left when they came to the seminary. And as a result, there's an optimistic hope for the future that they had. So it was a great time and, again, a significant milestone in the week in the life of the graduates. Now, about a week before that, about six days before that, the Netherlands had a holiday. Secular Netherlands, all the holidays, basically, are religious. And the holiday that was celebrated in the Netherlands, and they take two days to celebrate it, was Pentecost, the coming of the Holy Spirit. Um, and so... For the average uh, Dutch person, they have no idea what Pentecost is other than a two-day holiday. Sunday and Monday, they go off, they do whatever. But we as believers know that that was an event that forever changed the world, forever changed the believer's relationship with Jesus Christ. Because at that time, the church was formed. 
I'd like for us to talk this morning or think this morning together about the coming of the Pentecost, the Holy Spirit at Pentecost, some 50 days after the uh, death of the Lord Jesus and 10 days after the Lord had ascended back into heaven. So the question becomes, why is it important? What are we going to consider today? Quite simply, it's this. Because of the coming of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost, the believer is never alone, we're not powerless, and life is not hopeless. Because the Holy Spirit has come, we can have an unbroken relationship with God the Father, with one another, and we can be empowered for service and godly character, having a secure future. We have relationship, power, and hope. Let's open our Bibles, please, to Acts chapter 2, and let's look at verses 1 through 4. I'm going to take my coat off because it's not cooperating with this mic uh, hookup. Ah, now it's staying in place. Acts chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. I'm reading from the English Standard Version this morning. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as of fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other languages as the Spirit gave them utterance. So that's the coming of the Holy Spirit. And as we look at our passage this morning, with the coming of the Holy Spirit, it represents a time when those of us who know Jesus Christ as Savior are no longer alone. Because when the Holy Spirit came and the church was formed, everyone who knows Christ as Savior from that time forward had a permanent indwelling of the Holy Spirit. If we were to go back to the Gospel of John um, and we were to hear the Lord's words to his disciples, some of his last words, in John chapter 14, he says to them, And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. Even the Spirit of truth whom the Word cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. So we're permanently indwelt by the third person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit. Why is that important? You know, we live in a time where the work of the Holy Spirit is more prominent than the other members of the Trinity. In the Old Testament, we hear primarily of the Lord God, God the Father, dealing with the nation of Israel. Of course, during the Gospels, it's the Lord Jesus come, and he's the primary figure in the Gospels. But after you went back to heaven and the Spirit has come, it is the Spirit with which we have primary contact, if you will. And so uh, not having the Lord in one place at one time like it was with the Gospels, the Spirit is in each one of us that know the Lord as Savior. He's able to be everywhere. Now, anyone who's ever served the Lord, either as a vocation or uh, volitionally in the local church, knows that challenges come with service. 
and sometimes discouragements come with service. You know, I'm listening to the, they're trying to get helpers for the kids. I've heard the announcement a couple times today. And you go and you're trying to teach the kids, you know, and the kids are like this. Or maybe two are fighting over here. And you've got this great lesson you've prepared and you think, okay, what's going on? Or your brother or sister in Christ that you're supposed to be working alongside of, you're at odds with them. And this can be discouraging. Or you're isolated away for whatever reason. But we should be aware of the permanent indwelling of the Holy Spirit. He's taken a permanent residence in each one of us, and he'll be there to take us through these difficulties as we're serving, as we go through various aspects of life. So first then, the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, we're no longer alone. That's a fulfillment of God's promise. But then, as we've referred to before, the Lord's people were formed into something new, something called the church. Let's open our Bibles again. We're still in the book of Acts. And let's look at Acts chapter 1 and verses 4 and 5. The Lord is making a promise. It's, it talks about, uh, it records his, re- his uh, conversation with his disciples before he's taken up into heaven. Verse 4 of chapter 1 reads this, And while staying with them, the Lord ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, You heard from me. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. And what we read in the first three verses of Acts chapter 2, just a reminder, when the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place, and suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And each and divided tongues as of fire appeared on them and rested on each one of them. That is the baptism of the Holy Spirit. What is the baptism of the Holy Spirit? It is the work of the Spirit of God that puts us in the body of Christ. Everyone here who knows the Lord Jesus as Savior, at the point that we were justified, we were baptized into the body of Christ. That's how the Bible uses that term, the baptism of the Holy Spirit. 1 Corinthians 12, 12 and 13 reads this way. For just as the body is one and has many members, and all members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slave or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. This is an important work of the Holy Spirit. As I said, The Bible does not know of an unbaptized believer because that's the means by which we're made part of the church of Jesus Christ or the body. Now, we know the Holy Spirit convicts the unconverted sinner of the need of a Savior in John chapter 16. And the Holy Spirit makes a man new through regeneration at the time that we're justified. 
in Titus chapter 3. But the Holy Spirit also baptizes into the body that newly regenerated and justified person. In fact, it's so closely related to our justification that some writers, some theologians say, you know, it's really hard to tell the difference. And he thinks, perhaps when he's reading in certain parts of the New Testament, such as the book of Galatians, when it's speaking of the baptism, it's talking about our justification because the two are so closely wound together. So the result is the believer is never alone because not only are we indwelt by the Holy Spirit, but we now become part of something bigger than just one of us. We've been part of that unified body of Christ, the church, which will continue until the coming of the Lord. Now here in the West, and I say here in the West, we have students from 24 countries on campus right now. We'll hear more about that after lunch. And so we get used to talking about here in the West as opposed to other parts of the world. Here in the West, and especially in North America, we're very individualistic. And it is as individuals we come to Christ as Savior. And at times, we lose sight of the fact that once we've put our faith in Jesus Christ, that work of the Holy Spirit, that baptizing work, makes us part of a fellowship, of a body, what's called the church. And so it's not but by ourselves we come to Christ, yes. But once we are in Christ, it's not all alone. It's within a body. It's within a community. Uh, the, the people I know from Asia and Africa, they do everything together. Okay? And so that comes much easier to them. But here in America, you know, we stand on our own feet. We do our own thing. We're by ourselves. Well, yes. And no, yes, we come to Christ by ourselves, but once we are in Christ, we are part of a family. We are part of the body of Christ. Now, that's interesting. Pentecost. What was Pentecost in the history of the nation of Israel? It's sometimes called the Feast of Weeks on the Jewish calendar. It was the giving of the Mosaic Law. And at the giving of the Mosaic Law and the Feast of Weeks that would celebrate, it is the celebration of the formation of the nation of Israel. It's fascinating that the Lord God chose to send the Spirit on the same day to make a new body, this thing called the church. And so on that same day, many years later, the Spirit of God comes, and the church is formed. Never alone. A few years ago, my wife and I had a visit from a Korean missionary. And uh, he ministered in communist China. Now, he was there as an agricultural worker. Uh, he was in the Netherlands for a conference, uh, doing disgusting things with pigs and... Uh, he was getting more training on that as he's giving us details. I'm going, all right, that's too much information. I don't want to hear it. But the one thing, it's a bunch of small house churches, okay? You couldn't have more than about 20 people. The whole company he worked for was all believers, and they went every weekend to all these different churches, 
house churches. Okay? And they met just like we did this morning for the Lord's Supper and so forth. And one of the things he wondered about, because he showed us a video, and all these people are coming up and smiling and saying hello and so forth. He says they wonder, are they alone? Are they the only ones? Because they really can't have fellowship with the other house churches because they're not an official church. They're not authorized by the government. And so it just so happened about two weeks before somebody had filmed our Lord's Supper service and then the preaching service. We were able to give this dear brother a DVD of just an average Sunday morning. And he's sitting there with tears in his eyes saying, this is proof to all these other people. They're not alone. There's others like them around the world. You see, we were also part of the body of Christ. Now, we didn't understand what they were saying to us. We don't speak Chinese. We don't speak Korean. This man spoke good English, thankfully. But you could see he was translating for us. And they were sending greetings in the, names of Jesus, in the name of Jesus Christ. And they were talking about their love for him. And then they could see as we met uh, around the Lord's table and then the preaching service that, again, there's believers just like us elsewhere. We're part of a body. What makes us part of that body, whether we're Chinese or U.S. or European or African or something else, the baptism of the Holy Spirit. It's what makes us part of the body. But it wasn't just the indwelling and the baptism that happened on the day of Pentecost nearly 2,000 years ago. Believers were also empowered for service. Let's go back to Acts chapter 1, and let's pick up in verses 6 through 8. Remember, verse 5, he promised baptism. But it goes on. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, It is not for you to know the times or seasons that the Father is fixed by his own authority. Here it is. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea, and Samaria, and to the end of the earth. Drop over to chapter 2, verse 4. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other languages as the Spirit gave them utterance. What is the filling of the Spirit? It's not a quantity like this sister has more spirit than this brother or something like that. It's a quality of God's presence in our life. And it is a quality of the uh, uh, presence of the Spirit in our life that gives us empowerment for service. Now, chapter 1, the Lord says, you're going to be my witnesses in all these places. We go to chapter 2, and there's the celebration of the Jewish Feast of Weeks, Pentecost, and there's people from all over the Roman Empire. If we were to look in chapter 2, 
uh, we, it looks like a who's who or a, a, a travel log of all the various parts of the Roman Empire, beginning in verses 9 and 10 and 11. And so for them to be able to tell them of the gospel of Jesus Christ, this one that had disappeared before them as he's caught back up into heaven, the one that they'd been with for three years, the one that they'd seen crucified and yet raised from the dead, they had to be able to speak a language that they'd never studied. And so miraculously, what they needed, they needed empowerment for service, and what they needed at that point was the ability to speak a language they've never spoken. And God gave it to them. And it says, each one of us hears in a native, their own native language. Verse 8, Parthians, Medes, Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt, and other parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians. We hear them telling in our own language the mighty works of God. That's amazing. You know, throughout the Old Testament, we find that we find other examples of people that were empowered for service. At the building of the uh, tabernacle, the Lord told Moses, look, I've got a couple of fellas that I'm going to fill with my spirit. And they're going to be able to do amazing work in the building of the tabernacle. He says, I've given Bezalel, the son of Uri, the son of Hur, of the tribe of Judah, and I have filled him with the spirit of God. Now he's got to build a temple, right? A tabernacle. With ability and intelligence and knowledge and all craftsmanship to devise artistic designs, to work in gold, silver, bronze, cutting stones for every setting, and carving wood to work in every craft. In the New Testament, the forerunner of the Lord Jesus we read about in Luke chapter 1, John the baptizer. Um, and the Lord, uh, an angel is telling his parents, And you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth. For he will be great before the Lord. He'll be filled with the Holy Spirit from his mother's womb. And he will go before the, uh, the Lord in spirit and power of Elijah, to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just, to make ready for the Lord a prepared people. The filling of the Spirit is empowerment for service. Any who stand to speak or preach or stand before children, uh, you know, the Sunday school doesn't have to be up here, should be praying for the filling of the Spirit. Now, we don't need to speak in another language. Everybody here speaks English. Now, when I preach in the Netherlands, I would wish my Dutch was good enough to preach in Dutch. I have to go through a translator because all my work the past 18 years has primarily been teaching in English. I know what my translator says. I know when he insults me. He's a great friend of mine. Okay, I know when he's done a little freelancing in the translation, and that's fine. He's been translating for 18 years for me, so he's kind of inside my head, and I'm going, 
All right, that's the next point. Give me, come on, come back here a little bit. But I don't have the ability to fluently speak. But what we do pray for is that the Spirit of God would give us the empowerment for service so that when we open the Word of God and we present the message from God, it's done in the right way and the right thing is said and it's applied properly. Filling of the Spirit, as described here in Acts chapter 2, is not just empowerment for service. Because if we go to other places in the New Testament, we find that the filling of the Spirit is also to be controlled and influenced by the Spirit of God. Turn in our Bibles to Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 18 says the following. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. Now what's the result of that? Addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of the reverence for Christ. That's the result of being filled with the Spirit in this passage. But the Bible uh, talks about other things that are uh, neat before we do them, or gave examples, I should say, in the New Testament, of people filled with the Spirit, empowered for service, and there were different types of service they did. As the first uh, ones chosen to serve the needs of some of the widows in the early church, the Greek-speaking widows, rather than the ones that were from a Hebrew background, there were seven men chosen. And one of the qualifications was, choose men who are filled with the Spirit of God. Men who've been empowered for that service. Barnabas, in Acts chapter 11, was called the son of consolation. He was noted as someone who was filled by the Spirit of God. So my question, are we here a people who are characterized as being filled by the Spirit? Do we go forward and do what we do for the Lord Jesus Christ in the power of the Spirit of God? Do we ask for that? And I'm not talking about something spectacular that's going to happen afterward. I'm talking about an understanding and a realization that we have a source of power and we have the privilege of relationship and enablement to do what we do to honor the Lord Jesus. A number of years ago, in the early 1970s, two Canadian missionaries were used by the Lord for church planting in Flanders. Some here may have heard of them, Hank Gelling and Richard Haberkamp. Okay? And they planted, uh, they led 1,500 people to Christ, the Lord used them for that, and planted 33 assemblies, churches like this one. Okay? And this was in a place that hadn't seen any real uh, uh, growth in a biblical Christianity in probably 40 or 50 years. And in a 15-year period, it just exploded. 
And so as they began to train people to lead these local churches, and as they began to uh, train people to teach and to counsel, they said, look, they, they came up with a handbook for them and they wrote this for Bible studies. Be sure that you are filled with the Spirit when you give a Bible study. Before leaving home, confess your sin, surrender yourselves completely to the Lord, and in faith, accept the filling of the Holy Spirit. Study as though all depends on you, and teach as though all depends on Him, meaning the Holy Spirit. They wanted to make sure that the men that were teaching were people whose lives were clean before the Lord. And there was no hindrance of the work of the Holy Spirit in their life. Now, if we know our Bible some, and I expect most here do, we never need to fill the loss of the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. Remember when David sinned with Bathsheba? He prays in Psalm chapter 50, chapter 51st Psalm. He says, Lord, take not your Holy Spirit from me. Because in the Old Testament, the Spirit of God came and went, depending on the need. We never have to fear a loss of the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, but the Bible does tell us that we should not hinder His work. 1 Thessalonians 5.19 says, Do not quench the Holy Spirit. Ephesians 4.30 says, And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed, until the day of redemption. The great Swiss theologian of Europe of the 20th century, Karl Barth, puts it this way, the man on whom and in whom the work of the Spirit is done has put himself seriously at God's disposal, that he can and should use his instruments of righteousness, the very members, his own perception, will and feeling, which previously were instruments of unrighteousness. Our question, do we spend time making sure that we are yielded to being used by the Spirit of God to serve the purposes of the Lord God? We have classes in all kinds of, I'm not suggesting classes, but follow me here. We have classes in various places about uh, techniques for evangelism or techniques for that or the other thing. But are we on our knees saying, Lord, Use me, empower me, so that I can accomplish the task that you've put in my hands. Are we preparing ourselves for service? Pentecost, the coming of the Spirit does not, mean belie- does not only mean that believers are never alone and that we're empowered for service and the development of godly character. But it also means there's a bright hope for the future. When believers were baptized in the Holy Spirit, they became part of the church where the Lord Jesus had said in Matthew 16, 18, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. That's what we've become part of. We know how the story ends. Yesterday we had a seminar here and we talked about the various outworkings of the church throughout history since the time of Pentecost. And it wasn't always bright, some of the examples that we looked at. If we were to come today and we were to go to various parts of the world 
or pick up a newspaper, we read of another massacre of more Christians. We have students at the seminary from Nigeria, and they hear of parts of their home country where the Islamic jihadists come in and slaughter all the Christians for the fact that they are Christians. This happens to the Christians in Iraq, in Egypt, for claiming the name of Jesus Christ. But even though these believers are persecuted, and even though that type of persecution may one day come here, even to Plainfield, we know how the story ends. We have a hope for the future. The Lord says, I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And part of that reason that we can have hope is because we are indwelt by the Spirit of God. We've been baptized into a body. And if we live a life of yieldedness before the Lord God, we can be filled and empowered for service. Now, why is that? It's because the Bible also tells us about the Holy Spirit that we've been sealed. Now, how many here have ever bought a house? Yeah, okay. And when we bought a house, what did we have to do? We had to lay down a down payment, right? They call it earnest money, right? No earnest money, no house. And the higher the earnest money, the more its value, the more serious you are about buying the house, the owner that you're buying it from. Now, when I bought my first house, I remember sitting there. It was a builder. It was a brand new house. And I'm there with the realtor. And I hand him a check for $100. And he looks at that and he goes. And I said, sir, you got everything I've got <laughs> at this point. And thankfully, he signed it. Okay, normally you'd have to lay down, you know, like $5,000. I, I didn't have that if I had sold everything I owned at that point. Right? In the book of Ephesians, chapter 1, let's turn there. Ephesians chapter 1. The Apostle Paul lays out the various members of the Trinity and their uh, role in our salvation. First part of the chapters, verses 3 and 4 and 5, talks about the Father choosing. Verses 6 through about 11 talk about the Son of God dying to make possible our salvation. But then as we pick up in verse 13, it says this, In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, that's Jesus Christ, were sealed with the promise of the Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee or the earnest of our inheritance until we acquire final possession of it to the praise of His glory. The permanence of the indwelling of the Spirit, the permanence of our salvation, the down payment that's been made, the earnest, is the Spirit of God that indwells us, that has baptized us into the body. He's not a $100 check. 
He is a priceless amount given to us that guarantees our salvation. We never have to worry about losing our salvation, about no longer being a part of the body of Christ, of no longer part of being the family of God, because we are sealed by the Spirit of God, as it says in this passage, until the day of our redemption. In other words, when we go to be with Him or uh, He comes for us. Pentecost. If we were in the Netherlands, I'm not sure if it's the same in Curaçao. Okay? The Netherlands, it's a holiday weekend. But for us who know the Lord as Savior, it is something more precious. What we've looked at this morning in chapter 1, the promise, and then chapter 2, the fulfillment of the Lord's promise in the book of Acts, is that because of the coming of the Holy Spirit, we are never alone. We are indwelt by the Spirit. We are baptized into the body. Because of the coming of the Holy Spirit, we're not powerless. We have enablement for service. The Lord has work for us to do, but He hasn't left us without the ability to do it. And because of the coming of the Holy Spirit, we as believers have hope for the future. We know the Lord will finish building His church. We know that once we are part of it, we can never lose for that. I hope lose that. I hope we are encouraged this morning as we consider again our standing in Christ, our standing before God because of that event nearly 2,000 years ago when the Spirit of God came and formed the church. Because the Holy Spirit came on Pentecost, we're never alone, we're not powerless, and life should not be hopeless. We know the end result. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you sent your Son to die for us. We thank you that you loved us in spite of our sin. You loved us in spite of our rebellion. And you made it possible for us to have a relationship with you through the cross work of your Son. Our Father, we thank you that you did not save us and then abandon us, but you sent your Spirit to be with us, to indwell us, to seal us, to make us part of the church your Son said he would build. Father, help us to consider anew this marvel that's recorded in the book of Acts. And to be encouraged and to have hope and to worship you for yet another marvelous thing you have done on our behalf. And we pray these things in your son's name. Amen.